Good morning. My name is John, and I'm going to bring you the reading this morning, which is from John. <laughs> it's in John 21, and I'm reading verses 1 to 22. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some, which they did. They were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, is, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came took the bread and gave it to them, then did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger you dressed yourself and went out where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciples, the disciple who Jesus loved was following them. 
This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and has said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Thank you, John. Good morning, everybody. I'm Trace, one of the pastors here. Wonderful to be here on this brisk morning. Fantastic. So this, this story is set, we just heard then in the reading, that this story is um, describing the third time that Jesus appeared after his resurrection. Now, Daryl... Um, did a very, very similar story. He, he preached on a very similar story last week and he confessed that he's uh, in no way a fisher, fisherman. Well, I kind of um, have a different story for that. I have to say that I grew up in a family with a very dedicated fisherman as a dad. And my dad, when we were living on King Island in the middle of the Bass Strait, there's not a lot to do, and my dad had a boat. And this is his boat. Uh, nothing fancy. That's him on the, on the side in the, in the blue with my Uncle Trev. And they had this fishing boat. And at every possible opportunity, they would go fishing. This uh, boat, you know, they're doing it up at this point. It looks a little bit better um, after they've completed. But nonetheless, the name of this boat was Driftwood. And that is an apt description. And it had a diesel engine that smoked on the inside. And for some reason, if you were feeling a little bit sick, they'd send you in under the cabin to where the diesel smoke engine was. It wasn't pleasant. It wasn't the best solution, I can tell you. Uh, I thought I suffered from seasickness until I realised that there's a better solution. You actually have to be outside in the fresh air. But fishing at every single opportunity was my dad's pastime. That was what we did. We would go out on the shore. He would do um, fishing from the beach. He would go rock fishing. That was quite dangerous. Uh, they would go out late at night, be on the rocks at a place called Narracoopa, and they would fish, and fishing was where it's at. And my brother now, he's in Darwin, he, he just goes at every opportunity to fish. It's kind of in the blood. I'm not as passionate, if I'm really honest, but fishing... It's, it's great. It's, if you're a fisherman, you're definitely a fisherman. You're very passionate about your fishing. Any indication here, put your hand up if you identify today as a fisherman. Higher, higher, claim it. Fisherwoman as well. Well done. Love it. Love that. Yeah, well, give them a clap. Yes, sure. <laughs> well done. Those passionate fishermen. So today in our story, we find ourselves... Uh, ourselves on the shore of the Lake of Galilee. The last time uh, they'd seen Jesus, uh, they had been told to go to Galilee. 
and to wait there. And so they were there for some time. We don't actually know how long exactly that they're there, but it's more likely to be weeks more than days. And so they have obediently gone back. And uh, this is actually their hometown. They're, they're in Capernaum. And this is Peter's hometown. And so they're there waiting for Jesus. And I actually imagine this time was probably pretty helpful to them in processing what had just happened. Because I've been kind of thinking about this time of waiting and just their state of mind at this point. So the last three years had been a wild ride. They had been with Jesus. They had been called into ministry. They had left their careers. They had joined Jesus. They had travelled the country. And they were privileged to hear the most amazing messages and to witness the most amazing miracles and just being in the presence of Jesus throughout that time. And then they have the most traumatic event of Jesus' death. And now they're just in this no man's land. But then they had like the resurrection. They knew the hope. But they were just like, oh my goodness, what a lot of things had happened. And so I imagine this was a good opportunity just to kind of sit back for a moment and process what had happened and maybe even prepare a little bit for the next season that was ahead of them. We also know from Matthew 8.14, we know that Peter was married. And so in Matthew uh, 8, Jesus had healed his mother-in-law. And so he's probably gone home to his wife and seen family a bit, but they're all, they are all together. So they're sitting around at home and then Peter says, that's it, I'm going fishing. Oh, I just did something clever. Mm. I'll leave it up to you guys up the back. So they're sitting around and he goes, I'm, I'm going fishing. I, as I was looking at this, I was kind of like, is there a more blokey kind of sentence in the Bible? <laughs> is this the blokiest verse? Hey, guys, I'm going fishing. It's literally a bumper sticker. It's literally written on the back of, you know, the big utes or, or the big four-wheel drives. I'm going fishing. I imagine at that time he is just kind of over it. He's sitting at home just going, okay, I've had enough of this. We're, we're waiting around, but I need to do something. I need to get out and do something. There's also uh, a little bit of potentially the fact that while they're following Jesus, they had the support of other people. So they, they were financially uh, cared for. Their needs were cared for. But right now they're in a season where that isn't happening. And so there could have also been a, a need there, an actual practical need for them to do that. So he's gone, I'm going fishing. And the other guys are gone, yeah, we're in. Let's go fishing. 
And it's clear in this story that we see uh, in other areas, in other passages in the Bible as well, that Peter is a clear leader. He is the leader of the boys. So he makes this suggestion and the others instantly follow. They go, yeah, we'll go with you. We're, we're coming as well. And that makes sense as well because we see that the sons of Zebedee are included in the list and they were also, James and John, they were also uh, fishermen as well. And so we have the, the, the fishermen going. There's possibly also a high chance that the other disciples that they've mentioned there, we don't know what all of their careers are. There is a chance that there's others in them that are in that group there who uh, were fishermen as well. But what's a bit sad about this is that as I was going through various commentaries and listening to what other people say about this, I hear that Peter's kind of got a bit of flack about this. And that some people have uh, been pretty harsh on Peter and accused this, uh, accused him of being completely disobedient by going fishing. I don't know that that's necessarily the case because he definitely had gone and he was waiting and uh, he just needed to be going out and doing something and maybe going out onto the boat, blowing some of those cobwebs away in his mind as, the, uh, as their fishing was exactly what he needed. Maybe they actually needed that familiar space of being out on a boat. I don't know, but whatever was his reason, at the end of the day, he was quite obedient uh, going to where Jesus had told them to go. So there they are out at sea, and as we have said, Peter, James and John, they're all seasoned fishermen, and they know all the things. They know the best places to go to find the fish. They would have known the weather conditions and whether that would have impacted, and they probably wouldn't have gone if the weather had been not appropriate for fishing. They knew the tides, they knew the best time to cast the nets, they knew those little pockets where they would be guaranteed to find something. I imagine that they had been fishing with their dads from little boys. So they knew exactly. So they would have been out in the boat many, many times and other times when the fish hadn't, uh, be, the fishing hadn't been so successful, they'd go, oh, okay, well, let's go there because we know that we'd definitely get a catch if we go to this spot. They, knew, they, had, they had the gear. They knew the best methods. And they also knew that if you fish, they, they needed to fish at night so that's why they're there at night, because the fish were hiding during the day and then they would come out at night and they would actually use torches to attract the fish towards the boat. And they knew not to go out too deep. That wasn't a, a good place to catch the fish. So they're out overnight fishing and they haven't caught a single one. Was there ever a night that was as frustrating? Well, there was. They'd had that same experience three years ago. And for us, we heard about that last week. 
But they are absolutely frustrated by this time. They were probably already frustrated because they're kind of waiting on Jesus and they're feeling a bit uneasy. And now they've gone out and they have tried all the tricks. It's been a long, long, long night of not catching anything. And then let's just picture this moment in time. So it's dawn. Place yourself on the edge of the, the lake there, the, the beach space. If you've ever gone to the sea at dawn to see the sunset, it's beautiful, it's, it's quiet. The birds are just starting to kind of wake up. There's some seagulls flying around the place. We have uh, the, the, the mist potentially over, uh, over the water. And then they see this man in the distance just as they're getting ready to go home. And he calls out to them, but they don't recognise him. Now, we don't actually know why. Uh, we don't know if he somehow looked different after the resurrection, but we can also tell by this story that he was 50 metres away. He's a good distance away from them. And it's just sunset, so it's not very light. And they, you know, they, they could have had the mist over the water, but for whatever reason... They don't recognise Jesus. And we can imagine that they probably think that he is just another fisherman. So they... Hmm. So they're listening to this man speaking to them and he actually speaks with a fair amount of authority. So they're thinking, okay, we, we probably know this guy. He say, seems to know what he's talking about. And so he starts off, Jesus starts off with, friends, what have you caught? And in other translations, this, this word friends, it can be translated to mean children or an act of, like, it's, a, it's a term of endearment. And so he says, children, what have you caught? Friends, what have you caught? And I imagine that they're thinking, well, this person must be another fisherman. Like, who else is going to be along the shore? Or maybe it's a friend of the family. I don't know who they thought it was. But for some reason, they have decided to uh, believe what he's, you know, talk, talk to this person. And when I ask that, when I see that question, friends, haven't you any fish? I am once again reminded of the people in my family who would go along a jetty and every fisherman that they come to, they're saying, hey, what's your catch? What have you got? And it's almost this brag opportunity. It's this opportunity to go, well, you know, I've got a couple of snapper or I've got a couple of flathead or whatever it is. For us, it was always flathead. Like, it was that they were the, the fish on King Island that everyone was after and they were beautiful. But it's almost expected that you would ask that question. In, it's a compulsion. It's almost a universal responsibility among fishermen to go, hey, what's your catch? And for them to be able to say, well, you know, I've got this or I've got that. 
And that's exactly what's happened here. He's going, hey, haven't you caught any fish? And they're going, no. What's going on? No, we haven't. And so then we say, Jesus says, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will find some. Now, this is quite uh, incredible because they have literally been out all night. They know all the things. I just want to show you a little picture here. This here is a boat that was discovered on the shore of Galilee in 1986, and it's dated to the times of Jesus. This boat is the normal, is, is uh, thought to be the typical size boat for the fishermen of the time. It is exactly eight metres long and two and a half metres wide. Two and a half metres wide. So here to here. That's, that's how wide the boat is. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, it's not that side that the fish are. They're not on that side. They're on this side. Oh, actually, it's the other way around. They're on the right-hand side of the boat. You're on the wrong side of the boat. When you see the boat, you kind of see how crazy this is that they've missed it by that much. And so they believe him. They go, oh, okay, I guess it's worth a crack. I guess we can do this. It almost, to me, shows that Jesus has a bit of a sense of humour as well. Oh, no, you got the wrong side of the boat. you got to go to the other side of the boat. In my research, I did not see anywhere that sides of the boats make that much difference. It's, it's, not a, it's not a thing in their methods. It's just where the fish were. Jesus had obviously just said to those fish that night, no, nope, come away from there, stay away, stay away. And then at that point, he's gone, go! And they've gone into the nets. I love that. And then we see that John, bless him, gives himself a little bit of credit, I don't think I'm in the right. And he says, now the one that Jesus loves, himself. He's kind of gone, well, Jesus' special little favourite was the one that did this for Peter, that said this for Peter. It does remind me of my own children, who all think that they are the favourites. And, of course, they all are. But he's just kind of going, hey, the one Jesus loved. And he had put two and two together in this moment. And he had said, hey, I think that's Jesus. That's going to be Jesus. Now, in the rush of everything that had happened in that moment, now, when the fish come into the net... It's all hands on deck. It is like, whoa, boys, there's a, there's a run on. We're, they're all happening and everybody is just pouncing. So they've gone from nothing. They're really tired. They've been out all night. And then they jump in and they've got to get all hands on deck and they are working hard. And then John, the one who Jesus loved, says, hey, Peter, I reckon that's Jesus. And then in that instant, Peter has processed what's happening 
And he's gone, of course it's Jesus. Duh. You know, one of those moments. Of course it is. This happened three years ago. Now it's happening again. And what does he do? He jumps he, he first of all puts on his coat. Now, when they're fishing, they're just in their underclothes. But as a part of uh, Jewish tradition, if you were greeting somebody, it was actually considered uh, a religious act. And to carry out a religious act, you had to be clothed. And so that's why he's put on his fishing tunic, he's chucked it back on, and he's then dived into the water and gone to greet his Lord. He's so excited, he's swimming to shore, and the others aren't far behind. They're kind of dragging those nets and bringing, it in, bringing them all into shore. Now, what I love is that Jesus has been there for quite a while because he has prepared a beautiful fire and he's literally cooking them breakfast. These guys had had a really long night. They'd been out. They were probably really tired. They're a bit cold. And here is a beautiful coal fire. And so in his kindness... He's providing a um, fire for Peter to warm up with. And then he says to them, Peter, bring me some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbs back into the boat and he drags the net ashore and it was full of large fish, 153 fish. Now, throughout the centuries, there's been much deliberation about the number of fish. Some people have connected this with the number of nations at the time. Some people have theories about the number of different fish varieties that were around the place. But I think that they mention 153 because they're fishermen and they counted their fish. And it was a lot and they were large fish. And I don't know a fisherman that doesn't know the number of fish that they caught last. And in the week afterwards, you say, how's the weather and how many fish have you caught? They knew the number because they're fishermen. And they probably also knew the largest fish they'd ever caught and all of those other things. But this was an extraordinary amount of fish. And so I think they've mentioned it because... They know that it's a, it's a significant number and it was a big deal. And so they've probably later in that day counted them, gutted them, taken them to market. And so they would have known exactly how many fish they had caught. And then in verse 14, Jesus is serving them. He is waiting on them, giving them the bread and then the fish. And from verse 15, we see that Jesus specifically addresses Peter. And he says to him, he repeats three times, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. He affirms it three times. Jesus, in his gracious forgiveness, gave Peter the chance to wipe out the memory of those other three times when he was also around a fire denying Jesus. He says, feed my flock, give your life 
to shepherding the, flock, the sheep and the lambs of my flock, he, we can provide, uh, we can prove that we love Jesus only by loving others. And it was the greatest privilege in the world, but for Peter it brought great responsibility. And after Jesus has affirmed Peter three times, he also describes how he's going to live and then die. Now, we might think that this is a little bit morbid, that he's described how he's going to die. He says that he's going to, his arms are going to be outstretched, just like Jesus's were. And that does happen. But in a beautiful way, he's also reassuring Peter because he tells him that this is going to happen when he is old. And so during those times of persecution, Peter would have known, actually, this isn't my time yet. I'm not old yet. He would have had that reassurance. So it's actually a comfort to Peter. So here are some highlights from the story today. They knew how to fish, but they didn't catch one fish that night. Verse 3 puts an emphasis on the word that. So it would read, by that night, but that night they caught nothing. And to not catch anything was super uh, unusual. But Jesus was teaching them the truth of what he had said to them earlier in John 15.5. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. They couldn't rely on their experience or their expertise to accomplish anything. They, like us, needed to reaffirm the truth found in Zechariah 4.6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's so easy to go through the motions, isn't it? And I confess that I often lean on my own abilities instead of surrendering to God's spirit. It's easy for us to be fooled into thinking that we're able to accomplish something for God when in fact our mediocrity must rise like a just unbelievable in, in the eyes of God. We need to rely on him instead. There's a significant difference in the story from last week to this week. Last week, Jesus was right there beside them in the boat. But this week, there's a distance. He's directing them from a distance. And he directs us today from a distance, but we have his word directing us. He's not right here, but we have his word, we have his spirit, we have his people all directing us. And I love, I love how... John was the first to recognise Jesus. And maybe that's because of all the disciples, it was John that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, John remained with him. His love for the master was never questioned and Jesus had a special place in his heart for him as well. And as they wrestled with the wet nets, it was John who says to Peter, it's the Lord. So while John was contemplative, Peter was courageous. He needed to be where Jesus was. He jumped into the water. 
You know, it's interesting that in Luke 5, Peter wanted Jesus to depart from him. Now he jumps into the lake in order to get to Jesus. Earlier, when Peter walked on water, he asked Jesus if it really was him. And he doesn't need any confirmation at this point because he knows it is Jesus. He can't stay in the boat. He has to get where Jesus is. He seeks after him. He won't let anything stop him from being with his saviour. And I encourage you today to do whatever it takes to be with Jesus. Jump in the water. Seek after him. I love how Jesus provided breakfast for them. But as he did that, he invited them to bring what they had to combine it with what he had. Jesus loves us to contribute what we have, to bring what we have in our hands so that we might be with him, serving him as well. Jesus actually could do all of the breakfast by himself. He didn't need the fish. He can do anything in this world, but he invites us to join with him. Today's passage speaks about how we can seek out Jesus. We can listen to what he is telling us to do. We can work with him as we serve him and we love others. Why don't you join me as I pray? Lord God, I just thank you for this story. Lord, I thank you of the evidence of your resurrection that we see in it. I thank you, Lord, that uh, after the resurrection you came, you pointed out fish, you cared for your followers, Lord. I love that as they sought after you, you cooked them breakfast, Lord. Just the love pouring out. Lord God, I pray that we too would seek after you with the hunger that we see displayed in Peter. Lord, I, I pray that you would show us how to best do this. I pray, God, that we would be so hungry after you and that when we partner with you, when we bring what you have given us, Lord, I just pray, God, that there would be many, many people who would come to know you, that we also would be fishers of men as we heard of last week. Lord, I thank you for this story. I pray a blessing over your people gathered here today. Lord, I just pray that whatever you need us to hear from this story to hear today, that we would take that, we would use it in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.